I mentioned this in the uh, bulletin this morning, but starting next Sunday morning, I'm going to be preaching a few weeks on some of the uh, minor prophets. I got to thinking about what is the section of Scripture that I know least about, that I read the least, that I study the least, and uh, it's the minor prophets. Maybe it's the same for you. And I got to looking at those, and you know there's 12 of them, which is a lot you know, for a sermon series, and some of them really deserve their, their own individual treatment in a series, I think, Daniel, um, Jonah, and so I've narrowed it down. And we're going to be looking at the books of Amos, Micah, and Hosea. Three minor prophets who prophesied in around the same era, the 8th century B.C. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands when, when the last time you read Amos uh, or Micah or Hosea. Maybe more hands would go up than I think. Maybe I'm selling you short. Uh, but these are books that, um, you know, I neglect. And so, no more. I'm going to dig in, I'm going to study, and uh, I bring this up to ask, if you think about it this week, say a prayer as we get ready for that series. Say a prayer for me as I travel into some uncharted territory, having not only really studied these books, but never really taught about them or preached about them. Uh, But, you know, we're going to take this adventure together, and uh, I know by faith that it, it will be a beneficial one. For us all. So, if you think about it, say a little prayer uh, about that series this week. Tonight we're in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, where Ethan read for us a few moments ago. You know, throughout the scriptures, God, um, He grabs people's attention in many unique ways. Some of the ones that stand out to me the most, uh, the first comes from Numbers chapter 22. When God grabs the attention of Balaam by speaking to him from a donkey, that's pretty unique. And I think too about uh, the story of Gideon. When God grabs Gideon's attention through a piece of fleece that was wet one morning and then dry the next. And I also think about Elijah. When Elijah is up all by himself on the mountain peak and God grabs his attention, not with a wind, not with an earthquake, not with a fire, but with a still, small voice. But the one that I think takes the cake, the the most unique way that God ever spoke to anybody in the scriptures or the way that he grabbed somebody's attention that stands out the most to me is in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, God grabs the attention of Moses in a stunning way. Now let's rewind and and get to this place in the story. As you know, God's people are down in Egypt because of the story of Joseph, but they are expanding, and the Egyptians become increasingly afraid of the Israelites. They're afraid. They're going to get so big, they're going to, you know, join forces with other nations in order to take on Egypt. And because of Egypt's fear, because of their dread, they began to behave in inhuman way, inhumane ways towards Israel. They are ruthless and brutal um, in placing them under slavery. Uh, the Pharaoh orders that all newborn uh, boys should be murdered 
And so Moses comes in into this really cruel world, and his mother, an Israelite, uh, protects him and hides him for as long as she can, which is three months. And then when she can hide him no longer, she places him in a basket and, and sets him sail in, into the Nile River. Uh, the, Pharaoh, the, the daughter of Pharaoh finds him and picks him up and decides to raise him as her own. And it turns out that the one uh, she, she recruits to help raise him is Moses' own mother. And so he really is a man who is stuck between two worlds. And as he gets older, he is sort of an Egyptian, but he's also by you know his roots an Israelite. He witnesses uh, an Egyptian taskmaster really being brutal with one of his people, and he kills this Egyptian in anger. And so people find out about it, and he gets afraid. And Pharaoh finds out, and Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. And so Moses has to flee. He has to get out of Egypt, and he goes to the land of Midian. And I want to skip down a, a, a little ways here. He's in Midian. He's married. He is tending the flock of his father-in-law when we find him at the beginning of Exodus 3. Look with me there. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb, another name, for Sinai, the place where the law was delivered to Moses and to the people of Israel. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burn and that right there sets him on a path to becoming the great deliverer of his people the burning bush encountering God there in that bush that was a flame and yet was not consumed do you think that there are burning bushes today and I don't mean when I ask that question do you think that God still sets pieces of shrubbery aflame and speaks to us directly from those. When I ask that question, I mean, does God still use the ordinary in our lives in extraordinary ways to grab our attention and to strengthen our character and our faith? I believe in this sense, there are still burning bushes today. I think about all the various ways that God has worked in my life, and I go back all the way to my childhood when I think about how God was laying a foundation of faith for me uh, in the Sunday school teachers that I had as a young boy. And I've talked about my Sunday school teachers growing up uh, before, but I think it's worth mentioning again because we've got Sunday school teachers in the audience tonight. And maybe this will provide for you a, a little inspiration. I remember my kindergarten Sunday school teacher at the Red Bank Church of Christ. Her name was Cordia Phillips. She's still living. She's a hero of the faith for me because she laid the foundation uh, in, in many ways. Uh, my knowledge of the Bible that I have since uh, built on. And 
it's because of people like her that I am a person of faith today. Not a perfect man, but one who tries to orient my life around the Christian faith. She asked a lot of us in class. She required that we memorize the books of the Bible and the sons of Jacob and what God created each day of the creation story. We were just in kindergarten, but um, she expected a lot out of us. And for that reason, I learned a lot in her class. I had another teacher. Her name was Nancy Bailey, and she has since gone on to her reward. But she, she was a storyteller, a, a talented, natural storyteller. And she could, she could make a scene from the Bible come alive just with her words. And she would sit us down, and she would tell a story from Scripture, and it was like, it was like we were there. Uh, and we could actually see the scene before us and the people. I remember she sat us down one night in the third and fourth grade class, and she told us about Sodom and Gomorrah. She told us about what those men wanted when they were knocking on the door trying to get into the home of Lot. And we were highly disturbed by that. And she told us in such a riveting way that I've never forgotten it. These ladies to me, my kindergarten Sunday school teacher, my third and fourth grade Sunday school teacher, and all the others, they are burning bushes. They are ordinary ladies that God used in extraordinary ways to shape my faith, to mold my character, to really change my and alter the course of my future. That's what I mean when I ask about burning bushes. You know, the Christian faith is not compatible with this, this deism, as we call it. I know Brad Harrod mentioned this a couple Wednesday nights ago, this idea that God has sort of created the world. He's set things in motion, and then he's placed the world up on a shelf like you would you know, place a little uh, trinket or a memento, and you forget about it. A lot of people think that's God's relationship with the world, but, but not so. Not as we experience God in the Scriptures. God is a God who is living and active and present with his people throughout history. We believe in a God who um, is living and active in the lives of his people. I think about what Paul has to say in Acts chapter 17. If you would go there, keep your place in Exodus. because we'll, we'll return to Moses and the burning bush, but think about this with me uh, in Acts chapter 17, what Paul has to say in Athens uh, to a group of people who were largely unfamiliar with the Hebrew Scriptures, with, with the, the Jewish Bible, with the Old Testament. And so Paul has to think about, how can I tell these people about Jesus and about God in a way that they will understand, even though they are untethered from the teaching of the Old Testament? Now that's a challenge, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the, the hopes and anticipations of God's people in the Old Testament, and these people are unfamiliar with that. So, look at what Paul does here when he talks about God. And by the way, this is our challenge today in our culture. Because we have a lot of people in our culture who are almost totally, biblically illiterate. And so how are we going to share the gospel in a compelling way, um, in an influential way, in our culture? That's the challenge that Paul faces here. And listen to what he does. Acts 17, verses 26. He, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. So let's pause. Paul is saying, God has created all men so that they may seek after Him. But listen to how Paul describes God. Not as some distant, detached deity. He says, in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him, God can be found. The ways of God can be discovered. By humans. This is extraordinary. And then Paul says, He is actually not far from each one of us. He is near. He is not a distant God. He is a God who is close at hand. He is a God who is present in the lives of humanity. And you can feel your way towards Him. You can discover His will. And then he says, For in Him we live and we move and we have our being. That's Acts 17, verse 28. And that is a statement that doesn't come from the Old Testament. It comes from one of their secular teachers. And Paul has heard this phrase. And, of course, he's guided by the Holy Spirit. uh, And he is an inspired speaker and a writer. And he believes that this well captures God. And so he says, this is about the God of the Israelites, the true and living God. In him we live and we move. And we have our being. That is a God who is not a distant God. That is a God who is close at hand. One in whom we live and move and have our being. As we sing, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget. And since this is our, my Father's world, it is awash with His presence. Um, a poet once said, Earth is crammed with heaven. We can see His fingerprints everywhere and we can observe his movement if we watch if we observe very closely well maybe you say i'm not really good at spotting those burning bushes in my life i'm not really good at seeing all the people and the events and the circumstances that god uses to shape me and to mold me and you know what if you are saying that you're not alone because it's a challenge for me as well it's difficult for me to keep my eyes open at all times and be on the lookout for all the ways that God is working. I have a hard time consistently being a God scout uh, in looking out for all the ways that he's moving in my life. But there are two details from Moses' story that I think are very instructive uh, for us as we try to see these burning bushes, as we scout out God's activity in our lives. So let me observe these with you this evening. First of all, as we just zoom in and look at this snapshot from Moses' life, we see that, number one, Moses had time to pause. He had time. His life, at this part in his story, was moving at a slow and healthy pace. And by the way, those words go together. Slow and healthy. Fast and healthy, that that doesn't go together when we're talking about the pace of our lives. I saw a commercial, I just, maybe today, I think it was about the Adkins diet. And I don't know about diets. I've never been on a diet. Uh, But um, this lady was talking about the Adkins diet, and she said you can even buy these little, uh, you know, like cereal bars or breakfast bars that, you know, are Adkins approved. And she says... You can buy these for if you're in a hurry. And who isn't 
You can buy these if you're in a hurry. And who isn't? Exhaustion is like a sign of um, that you're doing life right these days. It's like, you know, uh, a, a status symbol to be tired, uh, to be worn out all the time because we move at such a fast pace. But Moses' life is moving at a slow and healthy pace. In fact, look, look with me back in um, verse 21 of chapter 2. Listen to what Scripture says here. Moses was content. To dwell with this man, with Jethro uh, and his family and his daughter, who eventually became Moses' wife. Moses was content. He was at peace. He was living a slow, methodical, healthy life. And so he was not too busy to stop and to look at this bush that was on fire, at this burning bush. He, there was enough give in his schedule for him to be able to see it. He had enough margin. This is kind of a catchword these days, margin. Do you have any margin in your life, like extra space that's not scheduled, extra time where there's not something on the calendar? We ought to have some margin or else we're going to miss the burning bushes that God is placing in our path. We're not, we're not going to see them because we're moving too fast. He had enough space, Moses did, to pay attention. But do we? Or do our lives move at such a breakneck speed that we are prevented just from the very pace of our lives, from noticing God's work. Consider the difference between, and some of you may not do much uh, running, uh, but maybe you do some walking. Consider the difference between walking a route and driving that same route. I have driven down a street, and then I have walked down that same street. How much more do you notice? How much more do you take in? How much more do you appreciate when you're, when you're running or even walking uh, down a street? I didn't really notice how beautiful that garden was when I was zipping down like 10 miles over the speed limit to try to get to work the other day. I didn't see that, that home. Uh, I didn't notice that tree. Really, when we think about the spiritual life, this is a good metaphor. The spiritual life must be lived at a walker's pace. You can't drive through life and hope to be a, a spiritual person. You've got to slow down. You've got to take life at a walker's pace if you want to notice the ways that God is working. I like what this writer says. The spiritual life is, first of all, a matter of keeping awake. And, of course, there's more to it than that. But, first of all, you've got to say, I'm going to be awake. I'm going to be present. I'm going to observe my surroundings. I'm going to be on the lookout for God. I'm not going to move too fast. Like Moses, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to be content. I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to be looking for God and the way he is working in my life. Maybe just the, the very pace of your life is preventing you from noticing God's work. Let the pace of Moses' life inspire you to change. Moses had time pause, to stop, to look. And secondly, Moses, when he stopped, he didn't just stop real quickly and take a glance and then keep walking. No, he stopped and he, what does scripture say? He turned aside to look. He was not only uh, not too busy to pause, he was also willing to seek. He says, I will turn aside 
to see this great sight. That's in verse 3. And then look in verse 4. We haven't read this one yet. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses. Moses. And he said, here I am. It's only when Moses turns aside to seek that God speaks to him. And I think there's something in that for us. It seems that there is a cause and effect relationship between Moses' willingness to pay attention and God's willingness to speak. How often do we miss God trying to grab our attention and shape our lives because we're too busy, because we're moving too fast, and because we don't turn aside and seek His will? Moses was changed by God because he was willing to stop and take a closer look. And I think there's a bigger principle at play here, and it's this. If we willingly pursue God's will, he will reveal it to us. He will. I believe we're promised that in Scripture. I think that's what Paul, Paul was getting at in Acts 17. You can seek God, you can feel your way for him, and you will find him because he's not far from any of us. And God, of course, has made his will readily available to us in the words of, of the Holy Scripture. But I think about what Jesus says in um, Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. If you're looking for God's will, if you desire it, if you want it bad enough, you'll be able to find it. He will reveal it to you. As James says, draw near to God, seek God and His will, and He will draw near to you. And we seek God's will in the Scriptures, but God, I believe, also uses the people around us, the events, the circumstances that we face to shape us and to mold us and to set a course for our future. Moses' experience at the burning bush, it was a watershed moment for him. And God revealed to him a message that at first he did not want to hear. But over time, God formed him into the leader that he needed him to be. And it radically altered his trajectory in life. But it was only because Moses decided to pause and he decided to turn aside to see. When God grabbed his attention, Moses listened. And because of that, the people of Israel were released from their bondage. The burning bushes in our lives are meant to shape our character and our future. And they're all around us. And the question is, will we take the time to notice them? God is constantly placing open doors for us, will we walk through them? I can't begin to tell you all of the opportunities that God has given me to make a difference in somebody's life, to glorify Him, that I have not taken advantage of. All the doors that He's opened that I have not walked through and, and later regretted it. And so it's caused me to Try to be on the lookout for these things. and Try to keep my eyes wide open. So many times we're racing through life. We're driving at top speed through life. 
our eyes are not looking around. We're focused on some goal that's not really going to make a difference. You know, of eternal significance that we miss out. We miss out on the on the burning bushes. We ought to become people who aim to see God everywhere, uh, in the big events of our lives and in the small. Tonight, God is beckoning all those who need to experience His love and salvation. He is present in our midst. And tonight, if you're seeking Him, you can find Him. His will for you is to come and to hand your life over, to to set it at His feet. We've been called to lay our lives down before Him, to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and to follow him uh, into a life that is truly fulfilling and satisfying. You can come tonight, have your sins washed away, be saved by the blood of the Lamb, and it would bring us great joy to help you make that step to following Jesus and becoming a part of his kingdom. If you want to do that or if you need help in any other way, if you need prayers in your spiritual walk, we want you to come at this time as well. Why don't you, as we stand and sing?